You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Bob Odom, who serves in the pastoral team at LifeGate Church. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, in our recent study of the Epistle to the Galatians, we have received a glimpse of life in the early times of the Christian church. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Galatian Christians, as we found out over the last few months in the study, trying to help them to keep the focus of the gospel in its purity. Because there were false teachers that were coming along and they were trying to sort of, sort of lure believers, pull believers away from that purity of the gospel to follow them or to be adding on something to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul was making clear that there is no other way, there is absolutely no other way to a right relationship with a holy God except the way that that holy God has laid down for us. And so he just, he protects the purity of the gospel and he makes it clear that anybody who proclaims Jesus plus is going to get off base. They're going to be going the wrong direction. Our confidence is in Jesus and all that he set out to accomplish and in what he actually did accomplish. Our confidence is in him. And Galatians makes clear that the truth of the cross just totally permeates everything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything about it. It's application to our life. Not only the principles of truth that are presented or the actual uh, event of the cross, but how that applies into our lives and gets lived out in holiness of life. The, the, the Galatian epistle makes clear that there just isn't a part of Christian life that is not affected by, permeated by, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, before I get going in this, I want to tell you, it's a little different. I'm going to touch base on several different texts that we've already been through. I'm not going to try to repeat what's already been done, but I wanted to point out the place of the cross in those, some of those texts. But I want to give some thanks first. You know, I've heard people say before, we all stand on somebody's shoulders. I don't even know who all's shoulders I stand on. There are a whole bunch of them. But I want to, first of all, just... Say thank you to God the Father for His Word. He's given us the gift of His Word. So first of all, my gratitude is just to the Father who gave us this. My gratitude too is to the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand that Word. We, don't, we may not even be aware of the Spirit's ministry sometimes, but without that ministry, we, just, we would be in a mess. Um, I want to also thank some men who are no longer alive. Somebody always teases me, all my heroes are dead. That's not true. But, but uh, a lot of them are. But John Stott, a great Bible study and pastor, and wrote a book called The Cross of Christ. And I, I want to acknowledge that I have learned so much from reading his teachings on the cross in Galatians. I want you to know that. I also want to express gratitude for Charles Wesley, who wrote a hymn that I'm going to refer to in just a little while, and it just is such a reflection 
of all that we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I also want to say thanks to Josh because, you know, we have a gift in Josh. He faithfully exposits God's word. And he doesn't tell us all of his ideas that nobody cares about anyway. We want to know, what does God say? What is God's word saying? And I think that he faithfully does that, and I'm grateful for that. And above all, just thanks be to God for the Savior who gave himself for us on that cross. So with that in mind, here we go. The cross in Galatians. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I'm going to be flying around now. Are you with me or not? Everybody awake? Okay, stick with it now. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul begins just after a little greeting. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What does that say about the cross? Well, here's what it says. Jesus gave himself willingly and voluntarily on the cross. He gave himself for a purpose, and that purpose was to redeem us. That purpose was to reconcile us to the Father, redeem us and forgive us, cleanse us, purify us so that we could be in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. There's no other way. And Jesus willingly and voluntarily gave himself. It was also determined by God the Father that that's the way it should happen. So that's why it says in verse 4, He gave Himself for sins to deliver us according to the will of God, our God and Father. So it was God's will, it was God's way. This is the way our salvation is going to be provided through Jesus. And that same Jesus voluntarily and willingly laid Himself down on the cross so that we could experience forgiveness and reconciliation. It all happened voluntarily, but according to the plan, determined purpose and will of God our Father. So here's the question that I think, these words don't get spoken or written in Galatians, but it's a question that I think is very appropriate for us. Maybe the Apostle Paul would be asking this question. If this is what God the Father determined is going to be the way of our salvation and the willing, voluntary sacrifice of His Son has provided that, who can add anything to that? What right would we have to add anything to what God has said? This is the way it will happen. And Jesus says, I willingly, voluntarily submit to the will of my Father so that there could be forgiveness for sins and we could be reconciled to God. So who could add anything to what Jesus did on the cross? Not me. (laughs) Not that I haven't tried at times in my life. Or maybe I thought, well, this will do that. Nothing else needs to be added. Okay, look at chapter 2 just for a minute. I'm flying. Hope you have your wings on. Chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, and not by works, uh, because of works the law, no one will be justified. Okay, for Jews 
and for Gentiles, there's no way except through the cross, the, the, the given life of Jesus. There's no way to be in a right relationship with the Father. And, and Paul makes this abundantly clear in many, many places. I couldn't read them all. In Galatians about, don't, don't look to the law. You Jews, don't look to the law and think, boy, through obeying the law, I'm going to be right with God the Father. Well, you've had generations to do that and you haven't done it yet. Not a one. So don't look to the law and think, I'm going to be the first one ever to fully and absolutely and totally obey the law of God. No, you won't. No, I won't be that one. So the law does have purpose though. And here, one of the purposes of the law, this will sound terrible, but one of the purposes of the law is to condemn us. We would not know, Paul makes this clear, we would not know what sin is unless the law said, this is sin. I wouldn't know what it means to covet except the law says you can't covet. I wouldn't know what is right or what is wrong except the law told us. So the law does have a purpose. It defines sin and it defines us as sinners because all of us have broken the law of God in some measure. Have we been as bad as we could be? No, we could, we could be worse. Uh, are we better than somebody else in keeping the law? Well, I hope there's somebody that, you know, hope I'm not the last guy in line, but I might be. Uh, you know, but no matter where we are in that line, we're all lawbreakers. We're sinful people. And so part of the purpose of the law is to bring everybody, Jew and Gentile, under this umbrella. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. Whether it's a law we understood by, by being a Jew or if it's a law we understood written in creation or if it's a law we just understood from the way God has made us and drawn us to Himself. Uh, we've, we're sinners. What, does anybody feel like that, that's unjust in describing you? Okay. I thought not. Okay, the law has that purpose. Another thing, the law is what Paul calls a schoolmaster to point us to Christ. We recognize if the law is there and we know what pleases God and what offends God, and I'm on the side of the offense, I know that I've offended God, well, the law helps me to see I need a Savior. So it's pointing us to Christ. And so we have that, that function going on. He's our only deliverer. The law defines sin for us. And prescribes the penalty for sin because all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God. And what is the wage that sin pays? Paul taught the Romans, the wage is death. Okay, is God the Father just? Is He the one that declares the law and declares the rules and says, it takes blood to forgive you for your sins. It takes a sacrifice that is utterly pure and offered on your behalf. If that's the way God has things, then we say, well, um, I'd like to try to pay my own debts. And as you know, we could pay for all eternity. Not only would we not pay our debt, we wouldn't even reduce it. So uh, we know that there has to be a better way. And so justice must be served because we serve a holy God. And so in God's justice, he said, I will give my perfect son on that cross. He doesn't deserve to die because he's not a sinner. 
but he takes on himself the weight and the burden of our sin. Pays for it with his life. Something that you and I absolutely could not ever through all eternity do. So, we experience though the effect of the cross in our lives, not only when we, when we come to Christ, but I think there's a way that we experience the, the effect of, of the crucifixion, the, the effect identifying in a way with Jesus in his cross when we give up trying to find any other way to please God. When we give up all of our methods or ways to, I want to be welcomed by a holy God, I want to approach a holy God, maybe this will be good enough. Maybe I can, maybe I can just do enough good that he'll say, okay, that, that's good. No way. And it requires kind of a death on our part, identifying with Jesus in his death, because we say, Father, I, I just, I respond like a dead person to all of my self-efforts to please you. I give it up. I die to that. So we experience something of death ourselves in identifying with Jesus on the cross. Now, I know and you know that we are surrounded by all kinds of sayings and beliefs about there are many ways to God. There are just so many ways to God. But you know, if that's true, one of three things must be true. Jesus lied. Did he lie when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father but by me. Would we call him a liar if there are many ways and not just through him? Well, either that's got to be true or the Father's plan from all eternity was flawed. I really don't want to stand before a holy God and say, you know, you, you didn't have a good plan. The Father's plan was flawed, or Jesus just lied, or the third thing, one of these things has got to be true, or the Scriptures are just unreliable and not true. If we believe the Scriptures are true, we believe the Father is perfect and Jesus is not a liar, then we have to say there aren't many ways to God. There's one way. Not Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus my best efforts. There are no other ways. And I experience, and Galatians is good at this. Paul is so good at this in Galatians because it's not just an event in Christian history when we look at the cross, but we understand this is how it lives out in my life. I, I die. I, I identify with Jesus in his death in that I say, all right, I'm dying to this thought. There are many ways to the Father. There's only one. And I'm dying to all the rest of it. So, being crucified with Christ calls for the death of Christ. The, not only the death of Christ, but the death of Christ experienced in me. Now, let me do this. I... I'm aware of something. You may be aware of something. I read the wrong verses. I had cataract surgery this last week, and I 
I can't see good, and I never mind. It's just an excuse. But listen to this in second in, uh, in Galatians two verses nineteen through twenty one. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Now here we go. I have been crucified with Christ. How's that true? By dying to the thoughts that are just not true, like there's some other way to the Father. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can we say that? Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Have you been crucified with Christ? Have I been? One of the ways is we die to those things that are all of our things adding on to Jesus plus my efforts. Move on. Chapter 3. And I'm sure these are right. Three, one through three. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Proclaiming the gospel is preaching that gospel, pointing to that gospel, and experiencing the gospel. Experiencing the cross. This must be done. The, the cross is not some, not that, not a remembrance. We don't just point and say, well, somewhere, we don't even have a cross in here, do we? Wherever there is a cross. We don't point at some symbol and say, oh, that's, that's the symbol of Christianity. And that's it. Well, that is actually what points to the experience that we have in walking with Christ. It is the visual reality. That's why Paul says Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's the visual reality that Jesus gave his life for us. The cross is that for us. So it's, it states that, but it also demonstrates for us that Jesus has given his life for us. It's a visual reality. It reminds us of everything that God has accomplished and points beyond that as well to the resurrection. Now, the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate in just a few moments, is, it also, is also a busy, visual reminder of the death and resurrection of Christ. Because what does it take for me to be forgiven and to be in a right relationship with God, reconciled to a holy God? It takes a sacrifice that's absolutely perfect. And mine's not it. His sacrifice, His blood, His body is what is so needed if we're going to come into that relationship. So that's done by the working of the Spirit, as it says in this, these verses are read, and also by faith. Hearing by faith what the Spirit is saying through Jesus' death. Now move on. Chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Take us a little deeper into this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, 
so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Jesus actually became a curse for us. The curse of sin held him to that tree. It's our curse to bear, but he took that curse for us and became the curse so that you and I could receive the blessing of Abraham, which is what? And your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, are you you just totally blessed in your life because of Isaac, who was Abraham's son? Okay, how about Jacob? Or how about Joseph? Or how about anybody else? But ultimately, down the line, it's the Messiah. It is Jesus, the Christ. And he's saying that in Him, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And so that's, that's what actually occurs when He took the curse for us. Then we receive the blessing of Abraham. Through His seed, Jesus, this part of the earth is blessed because I can know forgiveness and cleansing. A substitution, as we call it, has occurred. He was substituted on the cross, took our shame, our penalty, our death that we deserved. And He has given us His life. We're part of the family of God. Okay, chapter 5, verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The cross is an offense. You know, the word for that, and and the Greek word for that is not, you don't have to know much Greek to know what this means. The word is scandalon. The message of the cross is an offense. It's scandalous in a sense. And why in the world would we even want to say that? Because God the Father satisfied His own justice by allowing His Son, causing His Son, to die on our behalf. And... Anybody would hear that and say, man, that's that's pretty radical. Well, our sin is pretty radical and requires the penalty of death. Jesus paid that debt. It's a scandalous, offensive thing in many ways. Um, Paul makes it more clear over in uh, 1 Corinthians. He talks a lot about this because he says this cross really is a scandal because to the Jews... It's a scandal to them because they were saying, we want a political leader. We don't want a suffering Savior. We want a political leader. It's a scandal to the Gentiles because whatever the Gentiles expect, it wasn't that. The death of the Son of God dying for them. And it seems to Gentiles, according to what Paul says, it seems like it's just absolute foolishness. And he said this, Paul said this, but that cross... It's so scandalous to everybody is the power of God for our salvation. There's not another way. There is not another way. 5.24. I'm going to finish this briefly here. 5.24. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do we see the message of the cross in Galatians? There's a crucifixion that occurs in us, and it even says that there's there's a crucifixion of our flesh with its passions and desires. Now, when when we read things like this, you know that the flesh is not used in a real positive way. We can talk about flesh and blood reality, and you know, we like flesh and blood reality. We we love it. We sit down and eat our dinner, or when 
get some sleep at night or just and things we enjoy with each other. They're flesh and blood reality. It's not that. But the flesh is opposed to the Spirit of God. And so the passions and desires of the flesh can lead us in all kinds of wrong directions if we're not careful, and even if we are. And so the, the Word of God makes it clear to us that the cross experienced in our lives brings a holiness of life. It brings a desire to be Christ-like. It puts something in our hearts that wasn't there before. I want to be like Jesus. And I recognize that I'm not in so many ways. But there is a, a reliance upon God. And, and Paul makes it clear, even in this passage just a little before it, he says, listen, the works of the flesh look like this. And he lists the most awful list of things. But the fruit that the Holy Spirit bears in our lives are these. And he lists the peace and the joy. All of those kind of things that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. So he's saying we, there, the cross, if we're to understand it, we crucify to the flesh in a sense so that we might keep in step with the Spirit. 6.14 that Josh preached on last week. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross is our only ground of boasting. It is the place where we not only know the event in history and Jesus' death, but we experience that in our own lives. I've, the, the world is crucified to me. I don't want to be one who responds like just a worldly person, a worldly-minded, culturally-driven person. I want to know what is the Spirit of God saying and doing. We boast only in what God is doing. We don't boast in our accomplishments because they'll always fall short but we boast in what God has accomplished in Christ. Okay, I want to back up just a little bit and look at a bird's eye picture here of a couple of things. One is the cross from Jesus' perspective. Well, for one thing, the cross is where the Father's will is fulfilled. That's how he started out. This is the determined will of God, the way that salvation will be brought to mankind the determined will of God. So Jesus sees His cross as the fulfilling of His Father. I'm, I'm obeying the Father. From Jesus' perspective, the cross places Him as the only acceptable, holy sacrifice for sin, satisfying the Father's justice. There is no other. From Jesus' perspective, atonement is brought, our acceptance to the Father, our sin paid for, our relationship established, through the substitutionary death of Jesus. He sees the purpose in His death on the cross. From Jesus' perspective, He's presented as the suffering Messiah who came to redeem God's people. Now, from our perspective, or the believer's perspective, we look at the cross and we see our past is forgiven. Our present is the time when we live in this I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We see our present life as one that is experiencing the crucifixion. Our past life is under the blood. Our future life is under the blood of Christ. Our eternity is in His hands. So there is a sense in which we trust, but there's a sense in which we just kind of... You ever have one of those moments where you just take a deep breath? 
Am I glad that's settled? This is that moment where we say, boy, am I, am I glad that the Father has provided what I just could never do for myself? Let me illustrate it like this. Some of your parents here, some, a lot of you have been parents, and you will, rec- you will identify with what I'm talking about. <laughs> do you remember the place of rest in a way, the place of peace that came to you when you realized who it was that you would marry and you married them. And there's such a sense of, am I glad that's over? You know, that the questions, the people you meet are, you know, you and I'm, I know that you reach a certain point in life and almost everybody you meet, you think, could that be the one? Could that be the one? Could that, well, when all that's over, and that's the one. I remember when, when Cindy and I met, do you know that Cindy, Bella, your grand was one year older than you when I met her? What girl is 11 in here? Jessica's hand is raised. Oh, yeah, there's Charlotte. Okay, well, I'm not saying too much here, but, but uh, don't be surprised by what God might bring into your life. I was 13. I was, I was much older, more, you know, along, along. But I remember what a sense of relief it was to me. It's like, oh, thank God that question's answered. And you know what? Two other times I felt that in my life. Once was when Evangeline called and said, I think I've met the guy I want to marry. And we met him, visited with him, put him through all kinds of grilling and trials and other such things. And we said, thank God. All of that, you just can't help it. All the worry, all the anxiety, all the praying. Lord, please provide. If you call our daughter to be married, please provide the right guy. And to come to that place to realize That was the right guy, and to say, then came Derek. (laughs) Another moment in our lives, though, when Rose was thinking, who is she going to marry? And Cindy and I were just anxious. Lord, please, we're begging you. Don't let it be this guy. It wasn't, not, not Derek. But somebody, are not, please God. And Lord, would you please make it clear. And what a sense of rest and peace and trust. Just, God called Rose and Derek together and we were certain that that was right. Oh my goodness. What a blessing it is to have those moments. Now, exponentially, Think of this. The way to the Father is only through Jesus, plus nothing. I bring nothing to the picture, nothing here that makes me more suitable. It's the call of God. And then when we come to Jesus and know Him, there's that sense of, oh man. That answers the question for eternity. 
that sense of rest, that sense of trusting, exponentially more important than who you're going to marry or who your kids are going to marry or anything else is important. That's all that is. Exponentially. The Father has given us His answer in His Son. The cross points us in that direction, provides for us, points us onto the crucifixion, the cross experienced in our lives. It leads us to godliness in our lives. Not that we're all godly and everything's just right, but we're just en route by the work of the Spirit of God in us. What a place of trust. What a place of just rest. That's what Paul was pointing the Galatian Christians to. Hearing all these other voices and all these other things, forget it all and look at Jesus. Now, just as we think about coming to communion in a minute, I, I want to read the words to a hymn that I think is just one of the greatest hymns that I've ever seen in my life because of how much it illustrates what God has done. It's Charles Wesley's hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Listen to these words. They'll be on the screen. Arise, my soul, arise. I get this. Let these words sink in. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Remember in Isaiah 49, your name is, God speaking to Israel, your name is engraved on my hands. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers, they strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. The Father hears him pray. Do you think that's true? Does the Father hear his own son pray? The Father hears him pray, his dear anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his son. His spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. Imagine. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence, I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. There is simply no other way to be in a right relationship with a holy God than by his son and the offering of that son on the cross on our behalf. There is simply no other way. That's just why he came. Now, I know that you've heard me say this, but I, I will absolutely never in my life forget January 16, 1965, because this became personal to me as a teenager. And I realized for the first time in my life, this is not just some mythical thing that I've heard in church or some reference to something in 
history. Bob Odom needs a Savior because Bob Odom has sinned. And I was called to believe what God had said and done and just to admit my need. Yeah, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Please forgive me. Jesus did a work in my life that night downtown Houston in a school auditorium that has never gone away. It just builds and builds and builds. And I know that we are called, all of us are called to experience this in a personal reality. It's not enough to know, okay, this happened in Christian history. It's not enough to know those kind of, that's, that's good. We need to know it. But we need to experience the cross. Galatians is so good at this. All the way through, experience the cross. There's a crucifixion that needs to occur in your life and my life. Uh, Paul is just applying this. This is not just, not only pointing to an event, but an ever-present reality in your own life. There's a sense, and this is not mystical, the wounds of the Savior, the hymn tells us this in a way, but the forgive the wounds of the Savior, poor effectual prayers, forgive Him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Don't let that ransomed sinner die. The wounds of the Savior are, in a sense, pleading for us and helping us to see we need a Savior. And when we come to the Lord's table, all of us who are believers in Christ, we come to the Lord's table and we are saying, Amen and Amen to that. I needed a Savior in 1965 and before, and I need a Savior today and tomorrow and for as long as the Lord gives me to live. I need Jesus. I will never outgrow my need for Christ. So we're coming and saying, Amen, Father, thank you for what you did in the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the application of that to my own heart and forgiving me and helping me to be reconciled to you so that I can be related to you so that that which was an obstacle between us has now been removed and I can know you and I can talk with you and you can talk with me and I can enjoy your word. I can listen to your Holy Spirit. We, we can fellowship with one another. This is what we're declaring when we thank you, Father, that this is even possible. And do and you know, it was true in every one of our lives. There was a time when that wasn't true. There was a time when we didn't know how personal this was to be. We didn't know that we, yeah, we could just generally say, I need to be forgiven. Well, yeah, but when and how? How's this going to occur? It's going to occur in one way, through the applied blood of Christ. It could be, you know, there could be people sitting in this congregation, and I don't judge you, and I'm not looking around saying, oh, I bet it's that. I don't know. The Lord knows. But has this become personal to you, to where you know that Jesus not only did this work on the cross, but He did it for you? The cross was not only something that Jesus did out there somewhere, but He is doing in here somewhere, helping us to participate and be identified with his death, so that we're dying to the right stuff. <laughs> like just our own passions and desires in our flesh and those kind of things, so that we might come alive to the passions and desires of our Savior. When we come today to the Lord's table, if you may be sitting here thinking, you know, I, don't, I love all that, but it's not very real to me. All of us have been there. All of us. 
Jack Deachin is going to be sitting right there on that pew when we come for communion. And if you know that you need prayer, I want to ask you at any time during the communion service, just walk up and ask him, would you, would you pray for me? Tell him specifically, would you do that? And for those who are truly believers, and we, we like to say this in part, where you know Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified, we make a public declaration of the acknowledgement of that in our baptism. And so those who have believed in Jesus, trusted in Him as Savior and Lord, and you've been baptized in that faith, we want, we want to invite you to come. You don't have to be a member of this church. You sure need to be a member of Jesus. <laughs> and Come and say, the Savior that saved me, that gave his life for me, I still need. And if you can't say that, but you want to say it, go over there and pray. Say, Brother Jack, would you please ask God to make this real in my life? Let's pray. Oh Lord, would you come in your spirit and your power, apply your word today to every heart and mind of every person. Lord, I pray that not one of us would ever be so worried about what anybody else thinks that we wouldn't just admit our own need. Because Lord, we know the truth is we all need you. Lord, we thank you for this that shows us so clearly the death of Jesus. His blood offered on that cross for our sakes so that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, may we rejoice in that and deepen in that even as we go through this day and through these next few moments together. And for those, Lord, who maybe that light is just now turning on Lord, would you cause that person to respond in real faith to you? Oh God, we plead for you to do that, Lord. Even as the wounds of our Savior were given, crying out for our forgiveness. May our hearts now cry out, yes, Lord, amen to that. Forgive us. Forgive us. Lord, we offer to you these elements that the cup and the bread that Show us so clearly the offering of Jesus' own flesh and blood. May we not take that for granted, but may we with deepest gratitude receive what you've given and walk in the light of you as our Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.